Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy in chapter 2 is where we're going to find ourselves in just a few moments. And so 2 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, this morning uh, we are going to be finishing up uh, a series that we started a couple weeks ago. Uh, We started talking about how we have the reality of just one life. One life to live. Uh, This life is short when compared with all of eternity, and this life is valuable. Uh, How we invest our life today matters. It's hugely important that we look at every opportunity that God has opened to us to take advantage for his glory. And when we don't do that, and we realize that, we turn from that and ask for the strength to do uh, what he is calling us to do tomorrow more than we did today. And so we realize life is short. Um, Along those lines, I would ask you to be in prayer for uh, Bev Fick. Uh, Some of you know Bev. She's been a part of our Bible studies uh, off and on here, ladies' Bible studies for a while. Um, Her husband uh, passed away this last week. And so be in prayer for Bev Fick and the family. Uh, He passed away this last week, and the small funeral service was Friday afternoon. And so as I was blessed to be able to share just some words with the family, um, I was reminded yet again that this life is short. Um, It's amazing to me how when I'm blessed to be able to speak at home goings, uh, and I talk to the family and friends about the individual that has gone on to be with the Lord, um, what, what they talk about isn't the things that we find ourselves talking about in everyday life. Nobody talks about how much money the person had. Nobody talks about how big their house was. Nobody talks about the everyday things that we consume ourselves with. They talk about things like the character of the person, how loving they were as a father, how hardworking they were, and how they passed down that heritage to their children or grandchildren. They talk about things about character and integrity and how they loved their neighbors, how they loved their community. Bev's husband served in Vietnam and received uh, quite a few medals, different service medals for his valor and his bravery. Those are the things that are talked about, the way we make an impact in other people's lives. And so, again, I was reminded, this as as soon as Friday, uh, our life is short. We only have one life to live. A key thought that we keep coming back to every week, and if you are taking notes, I encourage you to take notes and jot things down uh, and go back to these things later. You guys know the statistics Uh, I've shared this before, but it's still true. Uh, 98% of people who take notes in church go to heaven. So I'm just saying, if you're on the fence, if you're like, should I take notes? Why take the risk? You know what I'm saying? Just go ahead and make it a certain thing. Um, No, obviously that's not true. But um, those who have received Christ go to heaven. Amen. So, um, but I do want to encourage you to jot this down because this is a statement that we kind of shared that first week that I really believe kind of summarizes all that we've been talking about in this series. And that statement is this, when we realize every day is a gift from him, for him, that's when living takes place. When we realize as individuals that every day is a gift from him, for him, for Christ, that's when living takes place. Each week our goal is to make it clear that God has a purpose and a plan for this one life. And that purpose is to use this life for him and his glory above all else. Over the last three weeks, we've discovered that we have one life to live, one life to love. And again, we said even in that week, we're not, 
We're not saying God is love at the exclusion of his other attributes. God is just as much perfectly loving as he is perfectly just. God is perfectly gracious in all things and perfectly majestic and honor in all things. He's, he's perfect in every attribute. He's not holy at the exclusion of love, and he's not loving at the exclusion of holiness. Sometimes when we preach love, we don't really preach the full love of Christ because the love of Christ brought Christ to a cross where he was crucified for our sins, was buried in a borrowed tomb, and rose again one day. And only those, not according to Pastor John, not according to North Glen Baptist Church, not according to what denominational preference you are or have been, the Word of God says it clearly, that without receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, that you will not be with the Father in heaven. You will, in fact, spend eternity in a place called hell. That's, that's not my idea. That's the Word of God. So when we talk about the love of God for the world, the love of God for one another, and how we need to love one another, the only way we're going to understand that, even as we can in this life, is to know how deep the Father's love is for us, that he gave his Son for us. And so we don't preach love at the exclusion of talking about sin and hell. We encourage it because when we realize our sin and the destiny of hell that was bound for us, and then we realize we were set free from that by the grace of God, now we can begin to understand the fullness of the love of God. So, we've talked about one life to live, one life to love, and then last week we talked about one life too long. And we shared last week, what we mean by too long is not too long time. Too long means to desire, to yearn for something greatly or someone greatly. It consumes us. And we talked about that Paul says, I desire to be with Christ, which is far better, Philippians chapter 1. I want to be with Christ, which is far better. That phrase, far better, in the original language means above all else, exceedingly above all else. So Paul's saying, man, I desire to be with Christ so deeply, it's, it's the desire I have above anything else. There's nothing that rivals that desire to be with him. And so we spend this one life longing as followers of Christ to be with Christ. We want to be with him. We understand we're here for a purpose and a reason and a season. We understand we can invest in love and make memories, which is great. We're not saying that we long for heaven so much that we don't really get involved here. We don't plug in here. We don't do a, we're, we're not heavenly minded to where we're no earthly good. But we're desiring to be with Christ because we realize it is far better. It is the greatest desire of our hearts. And I can tell you that there are times in my life where that's not true of my life. I desire earthly things, or I desire uh, certain things in this world. And I actually start, like, fighting and longing for those things. And then I realize, man, in comparison to Christ, this doesn't even come close. So as we're longing for him, we're desiring to spend time with him, to be with him. But also we want to know him by being in his word, which I know many of you have been wondering all week. How's he going to do it? How's he going to come up with a fourth L word? to put into the sermon. I mean, we've, we've got one life to live. That was easy. One life to love. Sure, that works. One life too long, maybe a stretch. How are we going to do it on the fourth week? I know you've been thinking all week. I know some of you lost sleep this week. You were like, I just can't. What other L word? And I'm going to tell you right now, last week, I mean, I think the praise band might have just been finishing up that last song. I was standing down front. Service was over. Somebody came to me and said, I got one for you. And I was just like, Mm, praise the Lord. And then they said, well, actually, they had, they had one, and then I said another one, and they were like, oh, I like that. And I said, well, it's, I don't know if it'll fit. And then they gave me some ideas on how to make it fit. And so I know you're sitting there, you're wondering, what's that last L word? 
And so I'm thankful to tell you that this morning we do have a fourth L word, and it is? Okay, there we go. Okay, see that, that awe, that, that just majestic, um, that's amazing. Okay, one life to learn, one life to learn. And I want us to know that we really have been given this life to learn of the things of God, to learn of the things of Christ. We are called as followers of Christ to be students of God's word so that we may fill our hearts and our minds with the knowledge of God. But not just that it stays there. The reason we need to fill our hearts and minds with the things of God is so that our lives will be able to be a fruit and an evidence to those around us of his glory. That his grace is on display in all things. It's not about us being put on display. It's about Christ being put on display. And that's what we strive for. We all want to learn these things. And here's the reality. As we're called to be students of God, we have to be humble before him and say, I don't know everything. And none of us do. None of us know everything. We're always desiring to know more of God's word and to strive in that area of our lives. And I want to look at a couple familiar verses to kind of get our minds going on this line. And so if you are already in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to read a few verses in chapter 2. Then we're going to jump over to chapter 3 and read a few verses there. And so 2 Timothy chapter 2 and starting in verse 1. And so let me just say again, thank you so much for bringing God's word with you, uh, whether it be on paper form or whether you have it on a device or a tablet or your phone. Uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we'd love to give you one uh, free of charge. It's just yours. You can go to the Welcome Center uh, following the service today. We'd love to give you a copy of God's Word. Uh, if you'd rather have it on your device, you'd rather have it on your phone or your tablet or your iPad or whatever, um, you can go to our app, North Goodland BC, in your app store, download that app, and you're free to do that right now. Uh, and there's a Bible feature on there. You can use that as well. And so we want you to have God's Word before you this morning, and we're praying that God will speak through His Word, which is where our source of true knowledge and power comes from, is from God's Word. So look at Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Now drop down to verse 15. Uh, this is, again, one of those familiar verses. Maybe when you were younger, you memorized this for Sunday school, junior church, VBS, something like that. But I pray that it's more than a verse we memorize. I pray that it's an encouragement to our hearts and minds to stay consistent in the things of God. It says this. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. If you're having, we have a couple ladies this morning that are going to be having children soon. We praise God for that. If you have not picked a name yet, ladies... You can't go wrong with Philetus. I mean, it's just Phil, right? I mean, you got Hymenius. I don't know how you'd shorten that up. Um, Jaime? I, I don't know. I guess whatever. Uh, but anyway, so if you're looking for a name, ladies, look no farther, okay? But no, I, I, hear the weight of this. Hear the seriousness of these in the church, by the way. These are those in the body of Christ that are, are not giving themselves to the truth of God's word, but but creating these vain babblings. They shun, they just shun these profane and vain babblings. 
And what's the result of these kind of ways that they speak and, and things like this, not of the things of God? It says it eats as a canker. That's like a cancer, like a disease. Verse uh, 18 says this, Who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. They were actually doubting the very resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of the believers, saying that, ah, it's already done and over with. It's already passed. Completely misrepresenting the things of God. It goes on to say in chapter 3, verse 14. So 2 Timothy 3, 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. Do you see that pattern emerging? He says, listen, the things that you've seen in my life, the testimony that you've seen, the things that I've taught you of God, continue in those things. Verse 14, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and has been assured of. This is also true of his youth when he was growing up in the faith, hearing the things of the faith. It says, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It is profitable because it is the Word of God. It doesn't become the Word of God when I think it's profitable. There's a big difference there. I don't go to the Word of God and say, okay, because I think this is good and profitable for me, now I'm going to say it's the Word of God. There's things in Scripture we may not like to read. They may not sit well with us, naturally speaking. I don't have the right to dismiss those things and say, nope, I don't agree with that being the Word of God because I don't see how it's profitable. It is profitable because it's the Word of God. It says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, and for what purpose, what end is that profitable to us and to the Lord's glory? Listen to verse 17. That the man or woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. This perfection doesn't mean flawless or faultless. We all have faults and failures in this human life, in this flesh. The word perfect means maturing, that we would continue to mature and grow in the things of God, in these areas that he's talked about here. And so I want to encourage you this morning. There is so much here that the Apostle Paul is writing to young Timothy a pastor in a church, or many churches most likely, saying this is the truth of God. I want to encourage you in these things. Continue in these things. Study these things. And, and we're going to go back to chapter 2 in just a minute here and look at that one verse where it says to commit to teach others that they may teach others also. I'm going to ask that we would have a word of prayer. I know Pastor Greg already prayed for us, but I just want to ask God to bless his word this morning. Father, as we study your word this morning, as we look into the truths we find therein, I pray that we would know that your word is truth cover to cover. I pray that we would be students of your word and students of you, that we would always desire to know more and more, to grow in understanding, to be, to be apt to learn, to have a tender and open heart and mind to hear from you what you have for us. Lord, no one in this room, myself included, has arrived. Lord, I pray for the believer here today that feels as though they have. Maybe there's someone here today that believes they've reached a point of maybe either an age or, or they've been saved so many years or they've read the Bible through so many times. Uh, maybe they have degrees or, or, or schooling in certain areas and they just believe that they've somehow arrived. Lord, I pray that they would know that, that we will never arrive until we see you face to face. That we can always learn. We can always grow. We can always know more. I pray that you'd help us to be pliable this morning to know you better. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I did some weed whacking yesterday. Anybody go outside and do like lawn care, mowing, all that kind of stuff? Okay, I think I ingested most of what I weed whacked, just so you know. I woke up this morning and I was like, I'm pretty sure half the grass is in my throat. I think that's what's happening. So just so you know, if I drink water through the service, uh, that's better than me talking like I have a frog in my throat. So, but I want to I dive into this this morning because we have one life to learn. A disciple, a follower of Christ is a learner. If you're taking notes, a disciple is a learner. And in fact, that's what the word disciple means, learner of. We may use the term apprentice. If somebody's an apprentice with an electrician, they're not an electrician yet. They're learning how to be that, and they're being mentored by someone that is an electrician. And so they're helping them along. This idea of disciple means a learner of someone. In first century, there was tons of uh, Jewish leaders that have disciples. Uh, even John the Baptist, before we read of him uh, baptizing Jesus and then some of his disciples following Christ, John the Baptist had disciples, followers of John that wanted to know more about what God was doing in his life. So this idea of a disciple is not a new one to Christianity or even to Jesus Christ. And in fact, even people attaching themselves to Jesus as a teacher and as a rabbi, wouldn't it be uncommon if they believed that this person had maybe insight into the things of God or, or they could somehow help them spiritually look more advanced, uh, maybe get a little more notoriety? You know, oh, I'm the disciple of so-and-so or I'm the disciple of so-and-so. It would give them a spiritual standing in the community. And so there are many that early on most likely attached themselves to Jesus and began to follow Jesus. And then as soon as Jesus started teaching those hard sayings, Remember when he told the Jews, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood? Now, I'm not a big church growth guy, but I got to believe telling people to eat your flesh and drink your blood is not going to bring them back the next week. I think you might have some people that go, you know what? Didn't sign up for all that. Thanks. Have a good day. Okay? So why would Jesus do those things? Because he was constantly refining those that were followers of his. He wanted them to know what it really meant to be a follower of Christ, that it was different than any other person they would ever follow. A disciple is a learner. Our Christian life is a journey of constant learning. There is no point in our human life where we have arrived and know it all. Because God's word is living and active, it is always teaching us. It is always teaching us. Now, let me, let me say this, though, because I don't want us to think that, well, then we're always fluid. We never have any sure footing. No, that's not what I'm saying. We can have, if you want to use the term dogmatic views or held to very tightly views of God's word, we can come to conclusions about the things of God in God's word. For example, we know, we don't have to be fluid or kind of wonder as he continues to teach us this, we know for a fact that Jesus is the only way to the Father. Through grace, by faith. In fact, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, he says right here in verse 15, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. They give you wisdom for the knowledge of salvation. And then it says this, Through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So what's the basis of my salvation? Faith through Christ. How is that going to save me? Because God offers us grace. Grace and faith. It is always about grace and faith in God's word when it comes to salvation. And where do I find that truth? How do I know that by faith through grace or by grace through faith, I can receive Christ and have eternal life? Because the word of God reveals it to me. So we can have a view, we can hold that view, and we can say, I know that I know because it's taught clearly in God's word. 
But there's other areas of Scripture where we may study and study and study, and we know what the verse means, per se, but maybe not how it's applied to our life. See, the application of God's Word may change at times to our life, but the truth of God's Word never changes. We can know that salvation is through Christ, by faith and grace, but how that applies to my life and how it affects me continuously is teaching me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know what that means, right? We can look at that and go, I know what the words mean. The world was loved by God, and he displayed that love by sending his love for us. Him living in this fallen world is a sign of God's love to us. Him going to a sinner's cross. Romans talks about this in Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated or displayed his love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we can say that verse, John 3.16, I get it. God loves the world. He sent this Jesus Christ. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life versus perishing. Perishing there does not mean poof, you're gone. It's not what the word means. It actually implies this idea of torment or hell. And so when we think about this idea, we can understand that truth. But listen to me now. I've been saved. I got saved at 16. I'm 38. I know I don't look a day over 22. Appreciate that. Okay. But I've been saved now for a handful of years. That verse, I know what it means. I know the words. I understand the interpretation of it. But how it's applied to my life, it has changed over the years. Originally, it's just unto salvation. But then, as you're struggling through something, you start to think, man, God, do you love me this much? See, now the love of God takes a little bit of a different approach. I had a professor in college that said it this way. Every verse in God's word has one meaning. Every verse in God's word has one meaning. It has to, or else God would be the author of confusion, which you know he's not. But however, the word of God can have many applications. This is where I get really frustrated. Maybe you've heard this in small group Bible studies or just talking with other believers, and they'll say, well, that verse means that to you, but that verse doesn't mean that to me. That's the wrong word. We can't say that because then you're saying, oh, so God is confusing. And God confused us by giving us a confusing word. No, we can say, no, it means this, but that verse is applied to my life this way. The love of God is applied this way. And so we understand that we can have views that we hold to, but there's other teachings in God's word that we may not be as dogmatic to. We may still be on a journey of saying, God, I know this is true. I know that is true, but give me wisdom in this area because I'm still praying this out. I'm still walking this out. But we need to be students of God's word. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, another familiar verse. As newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. I'm always encouraged when God's word calls me a baby or a child, right? I, it's a comforting, it's an endearing term. It says, like a newborn baby would desire milk, it's just a natural desire. We as newborn babes in Christ should desire the sincere milk of the word. What's the point of that? That we may grow by the word. Then he says in 2 Peter 3.18, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus, uh, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We know what amen, I've said this before, amen is like verily, verily at the end. Verily, verily means basically, listen, listen. This is important. 
I almost said, listen, Linda. Okay, but we're not going there, okay? Some of you are like, what's that about? Just Google, listen, Linda, and you'll be amazed. Um, I, but very, very, listen, listen. This is important, okay? God always has to tell us things twice, if I feel like, especially for men, right? And I've said this for a long time. I think it's amazing that whenever he says a man's name, he says it twice. Because he knows we wasn't listening the first time, Right? We're still off somewhere else doing something else. We're like, what, what's that, Jesus? What'd you say? Okay. So verily, verily is like, listen, listen. Listen to me what I'm saying. Amen is so let it be, let it go forth. What I just said, it's truth. Now let it go forth in your life. So when Peter says here, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Let that be moving forward in your life. I truly believe that as we, quote, grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, we will glorify him both now, currently, in this present life, not mattering what the circumstances are or what goes on around us, we will glorify him because we are growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord. So now we glorify him and ultimately forever we will glorify him when we are in his presence and ultimately lifting him up because it is all about him. See, we need to understand that a disciple is a learner. A disciple is a learner. This Christian life is a life of constant learning. But also this takes effort. This learning takes efforts. We must put work into our walk with Christ. We must put effort into our walk with Christ when it comes to studying. We must spend time and energy in the Word of God. Also, resources and tools that help us in our studies are not bad things. They're not bad things. They are secondary, of course, to the Word of God, but they are not wrong to use or for, quote, the immature believer only. There's this thing in Christianity where it's like, well, when you're a new believer, yeah, you need to read commentaries and concordances and study tools. But when you get to a higher level of Christianity, you don't need those things. So those of you that need the daily bread, oh, that's so cute. You go get the daily bread. Meanwhile, we're completely destroying a young believer, making them think that we're so much better than them. Man, we, there's tools and there's resources and there's studies that you can do that will help expand your knowledge of the things of God. Of course, those things are secondary to the Word of God. A commentary is not God's Word. It's someone's opinion of God's Word. But that opinion may be based in a lot of education about God's Word and language and culture and grammar and all these things that help us to be able to read and say, oh, I never thought of it that way because I've not spent... Years and years and years and years studying this one book or this one aspect of the Word of God. This is where a believer may say, but I have the Holy Spirit. I don't need a commentary. I don't need a concordance. Well, of course you don't need those things. But isn't it amazing that when the Bible says we don't have need of a human teacher, the same Bible says later, but by the way, you need to be in church so that a pastor teacher can help encourage you, so that other believers can help encourage you, so that we can edify one another in the things of God. So we don't need these things, no, but they are a great help and a great blessing as God has worked in the lives of so many. God has used some amazing men and women throughout church history to compile great biblical works to help bring clarity to areas of the Bible. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 says this, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... 
If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In other words, other books that encourage holy living can be helpful in our walk with Christ. Commentaries, Bible studies, devotional literature. There are many writings that can deepen our understanding of Scripture as long as we always check it against the biblical standard of the Word of God. So we understand there's nothing wrong with these things. It takes effort, but there's great tools and resources. If you're here today and you're like, I don't know where to start in my study of God's Word. I don't know where to begin. Please see me. I'd love to give you some ideas, some free websites, resources that you can get that will help you in your walk with Christ to go deeper in God's Word. So a disciple is a learner, but also a disciple makes disciples. A disciple makes disciples. This life that we've been given, one life to learn, to know, to grow in the grace of our Savior. But also, we've been given this one life to help others to learn and be disciples. Discipleship takes various forms as we talk about this. And we've talked about this over the years in different ways. Discipleship takes various forms. The truth is it takes place in one-on-one settings, small group settings, or even large group church settings like this one this morning. Discipleship takes place in many, many forms. Sometimes it's over a cup of coffee and a prayer. Sometimes it's over a Bible study with one-on-one or five-on, just five people getting together maybe for a, a weekly Bible study. Sometimes it's our men's and ladies' large group Bible studies that we do in the spring and in the fall. Maybe it's Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. It's a time to get into God's Word and help each other to grow. However, I want to spend the rest of our time this morning, although all those forms are valid, I want to look at some helps as we desire to personally disciple another believer. There's nothing wrong with inviting someone to church to grow and to know Christ. Absolutely fine. But I think sometimes we allow fear. We're intimidated. We don't know what to say or how to go about it. And so sometimes we allow those fears to to keep us from doing fully what God may be leading in our heart to do and actually working with someone one-on-one. And we just kind of say, well, come to church. Now there's nothing wrong with inviting somebody to church. But if you know for a fact God is leading you to work with this one person one-on-one and your answer is come to church, it's okay to invite them to church. But you individually are not really doing what God is leading you to do because God is opening up a door there for a personal relationship that you can do. This is the other thing. Stop believing that you can't do it because you don't know this or don't know that or only been saved this long or whatever. I love that Sandra was sharing with me that she shared with the kids on Wednesday nights uh, her testimony of how she came to know Christ. And it was so cool. She's sitting there with this group of kids uh, between, what, four years old is the youngest, up to sixth grade. And some of you may not know this, but Sandra was saved. She was in kindergarten, first grade, right in there. And she was at a friend's house and uh, staying overnight or hanging out. And this friend was like second or third grade. And this friend, as a second or third grader, led her to the Lord. Not like, oh, well, I prayed that prayer, but I got to be older and I didn't really mean it. No, like literally she remembers being led to the Lord in that moment. That's when she received Christ. So she's able to tell this group of four-year-olds through sixth grade, so like 11, hey, this is, look, this this child, this second or third grader, led me to the Lord. We, We do that so often. We sell ourselves short in Christ. We say, well, I don't have that degree, or I'm not this, or I don't know that, or I don't know. You're never gonna know all the answers. That's not the point. We don't start making disciples when we figure it all out because we'll never make disciples. David Platt says it so well. Could it be that the catch that God has us to to kind of get trapped up with or kind of caught up with 
is that the only way I can effectively make disciples is if I'm a disciple myself. So the more I know the word of God and I'm praying and I'm actively walking and abiding in Christ, now I can make disciples for Christ. But if I stop doing what I'm supposed to do personally, now I'm going to feel unable to do that work in someone else's life and to walk with them. Could it be the best way to show someone how to pray is to pray with them and be transparent in your own prayer life? Maybe the best way to help somebody to study the Bible is to show them and walk with them as you study the Bible. See, it's not just we tell others and we don't do. It's we do with them imperfectly at times, but we're striving for his glory and honor. Entering a discipling relationship can seem scary and intimidating, but the call for followers of Christ is to help others to be followers of Christ in spite of that fear. I'm going to give you guys just quickly three principles of disciple-making. Three principles of disciple-making. The first principle I want to kind of talk about just real quick is the principle of selection. The principle of selection. Go over to Luke chapter 6. Gospel of Luke chapter 6 and verse 12. It's intimidating to work with somebody one-on-one. Sometimes you don't know how to start. It might feel even awkward at times working with somebody, helping somebody. But I believe that there's some principles that we can look at that will help us to feel a little bit more confident to do these things. And by God's grace, obviously, to enter into these relationships. Luke chapter 6 and verse 12. And it came to pass. I'll give you just another minute. I heard that page. And that one. And that one. Okay, so. If you're not there yet, just hold the Bible open. Nobody else will know. Okay, just saying. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm joking. Okay. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. I can't read that without stopping going, man, my prayer life needs to grow. I read that and I I actually go, well, he doesn't really mean all night. We dismiss that by going, well, it's just a phrasing to mean he prayed for a long time. I don't know about that. It seems to be in the original language, in the original text, it seems to imply he literally prayed all night. So that's an amazing encouragement to our prayer life to continue to grow there as well. Verse 13. By the way, if you don't pray all night, you're still okay. I'm not saying you have to pray all night, but strive to grow in Christ is what I'm getting at. So verse 13. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples. And of them he chose 12, whom also he named apostles. So you see here, he says he called his disciples to him, right? And of them, he chose 12. What does that tell us? How many disciples were there that he called originally? We don't know, but more than 12. Because if he chose 12, if there was only 12, you guys. Like, I mean, it's not like it would be like, I'm picking you guys, and they're like, there's no one else here. It's just us. Like, what are you doing? So obviously, there's a large group that come together, and of that large group, he goes, okay, you, 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 and he starts picking them. Now, I don't believe he prayed for wisdom in choosing his disciples because he didn't know what he was going to do. I believe he knew who his disciples were going to be before the foundations of the world were laid. I don't think that's what he's praying for here. I personally think, and there's different opinions on this, which is fine. I personally think he prayed for those disciples to be strong, to be faithful, to be consistent, to endure the suffering and the persecution that's going to come. I think he, I've, I've actually thought this too. What if he's praying for Peter right here, knowing that Peter's going to deny him? He's actually already praying for Peter to be faithful. I've always thought of that way because we see Christ doing this often, praying for 
the disciples in this way. And also in John 17, he prays for the church of today. But what do we see here? We see the principle of selection. Jesus selected these 12 from among the crowd. These 12 were not super special, unique individuals in their culture or community. Nothing about them made them extraordinary. They were, in fact, very ordinary. It is important to note who Jesus chose as his disciples. They were all, they were all unique in their own personalities and individually uh, different from other people. They were not exactly the same as one another. We must learn from this idea that when choosing who God has for us to disciple, we should not just think of those who are exactly like us. Same age, same demographic, same thoughts, same everything. We shouldn't do it that way. We don't go, okay, this person's a lot like me. I'll probably get along with them well. I'll choose them. That's not necessarily how that should work. Remember, the goal in disciple-making is not to make them like me, but to help them to be like Christ, like Jesus. Again, they were ordinary people, but Jesus spent time in prayer before choosing them. We too must spend time in prayer before deciding to begin a discipleship journey with someone else. We must ask God, God, is this your will? Is this the timing for this? Is this a good way to begin? This is what I'm thinking I'm going to do with this person. Maybe start off with coffee and some light prayer and maybe asking some questions. Or maybe we should do a Bible study. Lord, I'm just praying about all these things. Give me wisdom in this. We need to spend time in praying for that individual. Or, or is this person the right person I need to be walking with for the next six weeks, six months, whatever it is. But let me encourage you with this because this happens in church sometimes. Christians are really good at saying, I'll pray about that. When I was in youth ministry, whenever the kids would ask me, can we play dodgeball tonight? Because I always wanted to play dodgeball. I really could care less what game we played, to be honest with you. But I already knew what game we were playing. I already had it all staged or set up. And they would always say that to me. And the joke became, I always would say, they'd say, can we play dodgeball? And I'd say, I'll pray about it. I'm going to be transparent. I never prayed about it. Okay, I didn't, I didn't, I was just saying it as a kind of a joke. Like, just joking. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, lame. Okay, whatever teens say. Okay. No offense to any teenagers here, but you guys do say lame a lot. So anyway, um, in my house, it's lame and lagging. I hate lag. I've heard that more in the last couple of months than I've heard in a long time. And when I hear my 12-year-old my or my kids say, I'm so tired of lag. Oh, the internet's so slow. I'm just like, uh, dial up. Okay? Like, <laughs> have fun waiting 45 minutes for your email to load, right? Ding, 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 ding. Okay? hate that sound. Okay? I remember I'd go to the library in Brown City and I would start loading my email, go check out my books, wander around, talk to some people, come back halfway there. Okay, let me go do some more things, okay? When you understand this, though, one thing we say in churches, we'll say things like, I'll pray about that. It's great to say that, and I, I say that tongue-in-cheek, you know, we really need to pray about these things. But we shouldn't pray so long that we never begin, Okay? We don't pray so long that we never start the relationship. We need to have kind of an idea to say, God, I'm, I'm praying, I'm asking you to do this, but I would like to start this soon. I'd like to begin this soon, but in your time. Now, if God intervenes in some way and obviously changes the course of that plan, okay, God, your will be done. It's not for now. How did Paul, or how did God get Paul to go to Macedonia? Had to show up in the middle of the night with a vision because he knew Paul was so determined, I'm going unless, God, you stop me. God did that. And I'm not saying God's going to give you a vision or a call. I'm just saying he will direct our paths as we are abiding in Christ. And so we need to pray about this decision. Who is it that we will walk with in discipleship quickly as our time is almost spent? Another principle I'd like to give us is the principle of association. 
principle of association. Go to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3 and verse 14. I love this verse. Mark chapter 3, verse 14. So we're talking about the principle of selection. God, give me wisdom in who I would walk with. Help me to not think they've got to be just like me, but maybe somebody of a similar uh, convenient schedule, time that we can get together. Can you take all that in consideration? Um, it is good sometimes, too, to purposely say, uh, Lord, I want to walk with someone. So maybe you're not the discipler. Maybe you feel like, God, I need to walk with someone. By the way, discipleship's always a two-way street. Uh, it's never this person's got it all figured out and this person's just kind of apt to kind of follow along. It's in a dynamic relationship where you're working together to study God's word. You're growing together, okay? But maybe you're sitting there today and, and you're a younger person and you would say, man, I need, I've never really been discipled one-on-one with certain things like how to pray and these things and these questions I have. I've never really had that. I've always kind of been in church but never really had that relationship. Then maybe as a young man, you would say, Lord, bring an older gentleman into my life who knows Christ, who loves the Lord, who's can walk with me and encourage me. Maybe you're a young woman here today and you'd say, you know, bring a, an older woman into my life that can kind of mentor me and show me these things. That's, that's in God's word, by the way, that the older kind of mentor the younger, okay? And so we need to understand that maybe we do enter it with some idea of what we're looking for, but we're always flexible to God's will in the area of selection. Second principle, again, the principle of association, Mark chapter 3 and verse 14. And he ordained 12, this is another way of saying he chose or he selected the 12, that they should what be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. Remember, preach is not pastoral office, it's declaring or proclaiming the truth of God's word. There's a principle of association here. For what purpose did Jesus choose the 12 apostles? We read, so they can be, quote, with him. All through the word of God, we see men of God we're trained for the work by association with other men of God. This is what Paul meant when he said in verse 2 of 2 Timothy 2, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. This is why it's crucial that when we are discipling someone, we don't try to disciple everyone. When we are led to disciple, we don't disciple everyone. One author said it well, a common mistake is to try to, uh, I'm sorry, is to try and do too much, too quickly, and with too many. In the area of discipleship, a common mistake is to try and do too much, too quickly, with too many. And we end up being ineffective. Just a couple Old Testament examples of this association as well would be Elijah and Elisha. And again, you can go back and read those stories in the book of King, the Kings. You can read what happened there in their relationship. Also, Moses and Joshua, we see that dynamic, that relationship of training up and walking with an association. In both of these cases, there is a mutual decision to continue in the work together. Joshua and Elisha were answers to prayer as well. Answers to prayer as well. We must realize that we cannot do the work of God alone. We need others to walk with us, and we need to walk with others. So we see the principle of selection, the principle of association, and thirdly, the principle of instruction. You're in Mark chapter 3. Go to Mark chapter 4, verse 11. So selection, association, there's this closeness, there's this relationship there. And then the last one, instruction. Mark 4 and verse 11. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. 
speaking to the disciples. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. Jesus did not merely call them to be with him in day-to-day life and ministry. He spent time every single day instructing them apart from the crowds. Sometimes you'll read about Jesus doing something, and I love when it notes that his disciples were with him and the multitudes. And then he would teach this great big lesson, or he would teach a parable, or he would do a miracle. And almost every single time I would say, part of the reason Jesus did miracles and those things because he wanted to affirm, obviously, his divinity, that he is God. It also was to preach truth and share the truth of whatever message he was trying to teach spiritually. But I believe also a number, a big reason why he did these things with his disciples was to grow their faith, that they would understand and be instructed. And by the way, when you read the book of Acts, you find out very quickly, it's very important the disciples had a firm foundation in the truth of God and his word, because they're going to go through some stuff. I mean, it doesn't take long. You get to Acts chapter 7, you read about the stoning of Stephen. Acts chapter 8, the persecution was so great, they had to flee Jerusalem, and they went out, which ironically, they started doing what Jesus told them to do in Acts 1.8. Go and be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. They, they liked Jerusalem, they liked Judea, didn't really care for the Samaritans, so they're kind of staying home. Acts chapter 8 comes around, and it says, and they were dispersed through persecution. And God is sovereign. He's over these things, and he's leading and guiding, and he's saying, listen, this is what's going to happen. You can try to fight it, but I'm telling you, it's going to take place. And so you see these disciples, these followers of Christ, these apostles needed that firm foundation to be able to do what God has called them to do. Now, we know it's not just instruction. We read in Acts as well that they received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the equipping of God from within to give them the strength and the power, but the teaching of God, the teaching of Jesus. For three and a half years, they had Jesus as their personal tutor. Could you imagine? Could you imagine just one lesson face-to-face with Christ? I think many of us, if I I told you, well, most of you wouldn't show up because you'd be like, he's a heretic. But if I told you that Jesus was going to be here in the flesh next week to preach, I mean, I knew he was coming. He he, he revealed to me he was going to be here manifested. I don't believe that's going to happen. I don't receive visions or calls from God. I'm just saying, like, hypothetically, let's just say, what if? Man, people would flood the place. People would show up. If I said the Apostle Peter is going to be here to preach a message, that place would be packed. And yet what's true is this book contains all of their teachings that we have that was given on earth. And we read from this every single week. We have the teachings of Christ and of Peter and of James and of John. And, and we have it available to us today. We can grow from that. And we think, man, but if, if Peter showed up, then I would show up. Well, I can tell you he's here. Not physically here, Okay. I don't know, maybe there's a Peter in the house. I don't know. But the Apostle Peter is not here. But man, his, the word of God that was given to him to share to us is here. And we can be students of God's word. We can re- receive instruction from God directly by the inworking of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was also very honest with his disciples. That this road of discipleship would not be easy, but that it would be worth it. Jesus never said it was going to be easy to be a follower of Christ. I'll give you a couple passages to jot down to read later. Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 18. Matthew 10, 16 through 18. Mark chapter 6, verse 11. We also see this honesty when Paul was chosen in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, when Christ said, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. This is the Apostle Paul. Great missionary, greatest missionary in Christian history. Jesus said when he was called, he's going to suffer for my name. Discipleship is never easy. Following Christ is never easy. But by the grace of God, it is doable 
achievable, and it is always worth it. There is a clear picture from Scripture in this area of disciple-making. We prayerfully consider who God has placed in our lives right now to walk with in a transparent way, so they will walk with Christ and see our walk with Christ. We spend time in clear biblical teaching to help them to know the truth so they can apply it to their own lives in all seasons of life. And now the awesome part, the exciting part. None of these things we have laid out in our principles of discipleship is beyond the reach of the ordinary, average, non-pastor, non-deacon Christian. Every one of these things is completely available to every believer, every follower of Christ. We can all share with others what we have learned. And we can all pray that our lives will be an example to others to help them grow in their devotion to Christ for his plan or for his glory. When we fall, we repent. When we, when we see victories, we praise God. We have been graciously given this one life to learn. Will we take advantage of it? Would you pray with me as you bow your heads right there where you are? We're going to have a short time of invitation. This time of invitation as you begin to pray there is really just a chance for you to respond individually. Uh, maybe as a husband or a wife, a mom or a dad, an individual. Maybe you want to come and pray and just bend a knee and say, God, would you help me to be a student of your word? Help me to be the disciple you've called me to be. To be a student, to be, to be spending time and effort in studying your word. But help me also, Lord, to realize the relationships you've already placed around me, that I can be a disciple maker. That I can encourage others, even at times in my imperfect life, to show them the perfect Savior. Our prayer is, whatever your response to God would be this morning, whatever decision you believe God is leading you to make, that you'd make that decision this morning. You'd come and pray, maybe and bend a knee, or maybe there in your seats. You'd say, Lord, affirm these things in my life. If you're here this morning with your heads bowed and no one looking around, and you've never received Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, let me just tell you, going to church will do you no heavenly good. Being moral does not remove our sin. Being religious does not forgive our sin. The only way we find salvation, the forgiveness of sin, and eternal life with Christ is the confession of our sin, the repentance of that sin, trusting in, by faith through grace in Christ. But he died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again. And when I surrender my life to him and confess and ask him to save me, he will redeem me for his glory and his praise. And so whatever God is doing in your life, would you respond to him this morning? Father, lead now through this time of invitation. Help us to be open to you. Holy Spirit, we don't have to beg you or convince you to work. We believe you already are working, and you're ministering to us right now. So, Lord, for anyone here that doesn't know Christ, I pray they'd come to know you before it's everlasting too late. For the one here or many, Lord, that do know Christ, I pray that we would be a disciple, a learner of you and the things of your word. I pray that we would realize that we are called to make disciples as well teaching the things that you've te taught to us that you might be glorified and they might be saved. Father, help us to put these into practice this week. Thank you for your grace and your mercy where we failed. Lord, maybe somebody here is beating themselves up for a past mistake or a failure. I pray they would know that they are forgiven, that there's no guilt or shame that they need to carry in Christ. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so I pray that we would walk anew in your mercy and grace today, believing that it's for you and your glory. Lord, work now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we sing the song of invitation? Would you respond? You can come and pray here at the altar, there in your seats. Whatever God is doing, would you just respond to him by faith this morning in his grace?